1: Straight out of Austin, Texas, it's On Second Thought,
0: powered by Hookem.com, with your hosts, statesman sports columnists, Cedric Golden and Kirk Bowles. Often imitated, never duplicated. Hear it here first,
1: On Second Thought.
0: On Second Thought, episode 219, brought to you by Hookem.com and our good friends at Bud Light. I'm Cedric Golden, joined, as usual, by the Duck, Kirk Bowles, and Duck. We're going to be all over Texas spring football, and we're going to be joined by Cat Vasquez to talk NFL draft. But first, we're going to be joined by the illustrious head baseball coach of the Texas Longhorns, David Pierce. The Longhorns took a 5-3 win over Incarnate Word on Tuesday back on the big 12 grind friday with a three game set starting against texas tech first pitch seven o'clock david how are you today
2: doing well cedric uh, kirk i hope you guys are well um but yeah we're good we're excited uh playing good baseball looking forward to another big 12 weekend
3: well you guys are rolling that's for sure Hey, talk to us a little bit about this whole vaccination thing. You guys had a grueling weekend up at Stillwater. You win that series in a series that was postponed to a double header. And then a lot of your team uh, is getting vaccinations. Can you take us through that process, David?
2: Well, I think it kind of goes back to some of the things that, is, that we always talk about in baseball and, you know, Augie made it famous as the quote of control the controllables and, you You know, we've continued to to live by that. And we roll in, we get banged on Friday, so we have to play a doubleheader. So we're set to do that, do a nice job of sweeping that. And then you have the the typical Sunday getaway day. So you pack all your stuff up, you go play a one o'clock game, hop on a bus for seven hours. So your normal Monday, based on that information and, and on the road, is exhausting. And... We added the vaccine of our second shot with our, our team. And, um, yeah, it just created an absolute um, panic for me because I didn't want us to to have a letdown. But at the same time, our players were pretty fatigued. And, you know, like I said on radio last night, we managed to figure out how to just win the game and, and get past it. So uh, credit our players, our staff for for getting through it.
0: Go ahead, Sam. Go ahead, Sam. Um, yeah, I, I read in Danny Davis's game story. So you said 95% of your guys are vaccinated. Uh, man, uh, you, you, it's got to be great to get through that part at this time of the season with so many games remaining. Uh, did you leave that up to them? Because it's always, always seems to be different for each program. Uh, some coaches say, if you want to get it, that's fine. But other coaches say, I think we need to get it. So what do you stand on that part?
2: Well, you know, we've had vaccinations since we were kids, and and, my personal opinion is I think you're in a better situation having a a vaccine as opposed to maybe long-term effects of COVID. So uh, personally, when I waited, I thought that was the best thing. Uh, I have a daughter that's pregnant, and she felt pretty comfortable about doing it. My wife has uh, rheumatoid arthritis, and So her immune system deals with that. But um, from our medical team uh, with my family or our our doctors, they said, yeah, I think it's the best thing. And then you look at our medical team here, Dr. Bray came in, spoke to our players and we didn't force anybody to take the vaccine, of course. But um, I think it was just kind of recommended. It's the best thing for the team and the best thing for each individual. And Uh, And again, not everybody took it, but uh, a high percentage did, and so that gets gets us moving forward and getting closer to normalcy.
3: Well, you guys just been rolling this season, Uh, sitting there thirty four and nine. People list y'all as like a top eight national team. Uh, This is about the most complete team you've ever had.
2: Um. I think it's the most determined team I've ever been a part of. And that's from young players and older players. When you watch their habits, how good their habits are. Um, you know, we have some players that take care of uh, all of our players have taken care of business off the field. I mean, and and, and then to be able to come over here and change gears and, and be totally committed to what we want to accomplish as a team, and then kind of prioritizing and understanding what they need to do individually to become a better player. And then, you know, you piece that together. It's kind of like I coached football for 11 years, and uh, we always went individual work, group work, to teamwork. And we still continue doing that type of format in our day-to-day practices. And so I think it's critical that they commit to their individual period, but then we can piece it all together. Uh, it's a it's a complete team, but we definitely have uh, a lot of things that we can improve on, and and understanding how games kind of unfold and what you have to do to just win the game, or what you have to do, whatever the defense is allowing you to do. Or uh, you know, people at times I'll hear a guy here and there in the stands go, "Come on, coach, be aggressive, make sure they're running." Well, sometimes a pitcher a 1-two to the plate and it's not a good it's not a good percentage play and so you have to be uh, willing to do what is best for the team in that heat of the battle and I think that's kind of the key but uh, this team is uh, fun um, I've had teams that have been very loud and then the game starts and they're kind of quiet and that's a good. <laughs> Uh, but this team is constantly loud, so that's a good sign.
0: Uh, well, speak, speaking of loud, David, I mean, the, the home runs are are, are really – chicks dig long ball, and some, some of the guys do too. Uh, 44 homers threatening the the school record of 81 set in 2010. Um it's not, I mean, I, I remember covering teams where they had one guy that went off that year, like Casey Clemens went off one year, Kyle, Kyle Russell went off one year. You have four different guys uh, Ivan Melendez, the Hispanic Tactics, got nine. His nickname, not, not me, not me giving it to him. That's what he told me. Cam Williams, a switch hitter, has eight bombs. Zach Zubia and Mike Antico with six each. So, it's not like you're dependent on one guy for that, for that power surge. Uh, what kind of luxury does that give you? And especially knowing that these guys are also pretty selective at the plate. I think,
2: I think you're always trying to strive for a balanced lineup. And, and, and you know, I like what you said, chicks and guys dig the long ball. I mean, I can honestly say I dig it as well. <laughs> I will tell you, you know and you look at you know coming into here and every school i've gone to it's like all right what's your offensive philosophy or what is your philosophy well i love the three-run homer but it's not always there so you have to have the ability to manufacture you have to have the ability to have some speed in there you have to have the ability to go first to third and score from first when the game allows you to so the speed is a component. So you just try to piece all that together. And it's really fun when you get the flow of that offense going together. Uh, Sometimes it stalls. Um, But what I do like is we're not a dependent of just one thing. Um, You know, you take a basketball team that they're going to put up X amount of threes and they're going to live and die on the three pointer. And if the three pointer is not there that day, they usually don't win. Um, and so that's kind of the comparison of what I like to try to build when you look at a completion of your offense in and in a balance and, like we like to say, a deep lineup. Uh, you want guys to have to work to get us out. Uh, and that's kind of been our, our, our thought process with that. Um, but, you know, talking about where we are and all that stuff, we've kind of avoided the big picture as much as possible We've got some really good teams that we're getting ready to play. Um, And so we can't get caught up in that distraction or any outside distraction that can affect your preparation.
3: Well, you got a a Texas tech team coming. That's always very formidable. They they're coming off a disappointing series against Bader where they dropped two out of three and Bader just hit the heck out of them. (laughs) Like, Like 34 hits and seven home runs in that series. So it, you know, I know they got a couple of strong left-handed pitchers that have had six success, but what's the type of Texas Tech team you're expecting to come in here on Friday night, David?
2: I'm not so sure I, I like that they lost at home. Yeah. You, know, a series, you know, because sometimes that it, 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 it motivates you and teams go in different directions with that. I always thought that Tim has done a great job of preparing his guys, and they're a tough team. And and what I mean by that, there's teams that play the game really well, but then there's some guys that they just, they, they grit it out. And I, I think tech is one of those types of teams. And so, you know, we're going to have to have great mentality and uh, not get caught up into other things. Um, I think they're going to come in, you know, they're going to be aggressive offensively. They, they have some guys that can run. They have some guys that can hit with power and um They have some selection as well. So they'll be balanced in their lineup. Um, They do have Monteverdi that will – I'm assuming uh, they haven't been announced yet, but pretty darn good left-hander. And, and, you know, so it's going to be a challenge. But this is what we do. And when you look at it and you go, wow, okay, if we can only do this or do that. No. We need to go play Friday night and – Enjoy the competition. Enjoy the challenge of facing a really good team.
0: You're 22, 23 and two at the dish. Uh, and it's, it's been a real beehive uh, this season. Uh, I can't, I'll be out there on Sunday. Um, I, I love getaway day, but um, how big has the crowd been? How, how great have they been for you guys? Um, I've, uh, I've watched a few games on Longhorn network. Uh, don't tell um Keith Moreland and Greg Swindell. I don't want them to get the big head, but uh, they, they they provided a lot of good perspective and they keep mentioning that, man, this home crowd has been nuts all season long. Do the players even feed into that? I think the – first of all,
2: you can feel the energy of the – of the percentage that's in the stadium. You can feel the energy um, – I think Keith and Greg are having a good time watching this
0: team, just listening to their energy. They've been yucking it up. They they call I Ivan Melendez. He's Mr. Melendez now because of, they are so in awe. And I wrote this when a guy is on a roll, like he was on, hitting those bombs, and you got Hall of Famers, I mean, bowing to you. I mean, I was like, please no one tell him. I don't I don't want him to to hear that, but Yeah, they've been having a good time. They really have. But,
2: you know, and so we have a a lesser group uh, or a fan base just because of the pandemic and we can't control. But you can feel the energy of the people there. I mean, they recognize the play of our team. Uh, And and it's fun. Uh, I actually was talking to three of our freshmen the other day, Lucas Gordon, Mitch Daly, and Tanner Witt. And I said, unfortunately – You haven't seen this place the way it can be. And you won't be able to this year with the team that we're putting on the field. The product that we're putting on the field deserves that, but circumstances don't allow it. And we just have to understand and deal with that. But the crowd has been good for us.
3: You mentioned three freshmen. You've got some newcomers this year. Uh, Ivan Melendez, as far as his raw power, who's the best power hitter that you've seen, you know, during your illustrious coaching career on the college level?
2: Are we talking just raw power or are we talking uh, game power? Well, you differentiate for us. Well, if you're just talking raw power in batting practice, um, I would say Ivan Melendez. If you're just talking power in a game, I would say Ivan Melendez. Wow. <laughs> That's an easy answer. Yeah, I mean, I've never seen anybody hit the ball over the center field wall since I've been here, and that piece of the uh, fence was not removed or moved. Moved in uh, that piece never changed. Uh, honestly, it's been extended because softball built the indoor facility with white stone, and so we had to extend the batter's eye eight feet right. and. He hit one against K-State over or into the extended piece. And so we're like, we extend it, and now no one still has hit it over it. But it counts as a home run now because we made the rule that if it's above the padding and it hits the batter's eye, it's now a home run because, I mean, I'm in year number five and been around here for many years, and I've never seen it. So I'm like, the guy hits a ball 400 feet dead center at the dish. He deserves a home run. No, I'm sorry. He just does. So then we had the extension, and the next day he hits it over the extension, and it's like, okay, well, now I've seen somebody hit it over the batter's eye at the dish.
0: Yeah, it's impressive. Hey, uh, I saw that one, and it was a great pitch. It was a great pitch. It was up, but it was out of the zone. And he That booked- was going in, too, Cedric. Yeah, I know. And he and he just he murdered it. And I'm like, what? And and, and Danny tweeted, what is that pitcher supposed to do? Yeah. It was a quality baseball pitch. And he just I mean, it was just a g- good pitch and a great a great uh power hitter doing what he does. And he's not he's not just barely clearing the wall. I mean, they said in that game that he that two four hundred and fifty foot shots. Is what they said on LHN, Keith and Greg. So, yeah, I, I've never seen anything over like over the bus
2: and went over the the road, the 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 bus road behind left field was four seventy one. Well, that's a That's, that's uh, carry. That's some carry. Yeah, I mean, and, and Cody hit. I guess Cody hit twenty six in two thousand and eighteen, but yeah didn't hit massive home runs. He had big time home runs. and But not with well, that distance. He hit home runs in crucial times. And I think that's, that's that's a gamer there. And Ivan has done that as well. But I think now, you know, so many people talk about it as a young hitter. You have to really understand it's just like a team. Understand why you're having that type of success and – I don't think Ivan ever goes to home plate and tries to force his power. And if you're trying to force it, you're usually going to not be successful. So I think just staying in the middle of the field and doing what he does is the best approach still.
3: We mentioned Cam Williams. Uh, He's a little bit hobbled right now with that knee contusion. Uh, How serious is that? Uh, And do, do you want to try to rest him some? Well, we
2: rested him through the weekend and the midweek last week, right. a week ago Sunday, hoping that he would actually be ready by Oklahoma State. And it's just been a slower process than we thought. Um, so we were able to just sit him there. And I think Murph has done a great job of filling in, and that's what he is, a great utility player that can play all four infield positions. I could run him out to center field, and he go catch a fly ball as well. But, you know, so – The goal last night was to get him into the game, get him into some live at-bats. We accomplished that. Um, And once he got the hit in his second at-bat, we ran for him with Murph. Mm -hmm. And so today is kind of critical to see how his recovery is um, and kind of see where he is moving into this weekend. And um, I really felt like he would be a little further along right now. So it does concern me a bit, but at the same time, Something we can't control, and we'll see what happens today and tomorrow.
0: Well, you mentioned Augie Garrido and uh, that, that's my that's my college baseball OG. Um, he always told me that you build during the season toward you know you're adding pieces, you know for for the postseason. And one thing he always told me, David, is uh, you, you want to have four starting pitchers for a tournament situation. And so far. Ty Madden has been nails, reached 99 on the gun. Tristan Stevens, Colby Kubitschek, and Pete Hansen has been great midweek. Um, is, there, is there another guy that that I'm not mentioning that that's being playing well? I know Drew Shiflett did well in relief yesterday. That could step in there in a tournament situation because we've both been around where you some certain things happen in, in regionals and super regionals and you might have to call on another guy to step in. Who would that be?
2: Well, I think uh, what you're we referring to with Doug is pretty much, you know, you continue to coach and build your team throughout the season because there may be a guy there that steps up and carries the team for a week, two weeks, has a huge postseason weekend, has a huge conference weekend. Um, the light switch kicks on. Um, and then it's awesome for the team to feed off of that. And I think that's the reference that you see in a Mitch Daily. even, you know, Mitch and I talked going into the spring and I, and I told him, I said, I'm not so sure I want to burn your year for 10 at bats <laughs> and just to get you some playing time. And he took it well, but kept getting better and better and better. And then you really Knew he had the skill set, but was he going to be ready as a freshman, everyday guy? And we started him at Texas State, and he hadn't been out of the lineup, and he's just crushing the ball and doing so many valuable things for our team. So when you look at that progression of Mets, then you, you're constantly looking for that type of insertion that can help you. Um, when you look at setting up four starters – we've extended Pete. We have four starters. And Pete is not necessarily the fourth starter. He's one of four. I mean, you could get into a matchup where it's better that we start a left-hander in game two as opposed to a right-hander. And so that gives you the versatility that you're talking about. Um, uh, Drew has has made a, a change in his arm slot. The first couple of times were, you know, deficit innings or non-deficit where you're sitting in a situation where it's a five-run lead. Hey, let's look at Shiflet here. Last night he came in in a crucial time where we needed a pick-me-up and he gives a three and two thirds and gets the win. Nobody saw that coming. And some people kind of overlooked that, but that was huge for our team last night. So now, he gains a little bit more credibility, a little bit more validation that this is a guy we can go to in a crucial time. Uh, You've seen it with Lucas Gordon each outing. He's gotten a little bit better and now he's becoming more and more dependent uh, or more and more dependable. And with that, now you trust him in one run games in a matchup situation with guys on second and third. So that's what we are constantly trying to build is not only the physical side and how they perform, but keeping them fresh mentally where they're getting enough at bats and getting enough innings that, you know, one of them is going to be valuable down the road. Cole Quintanilla can extend more so than we've used him. We've used him frequently more so than extending him in and outing. And so it, it helps getting to get these guys in there and understand what their limitations are. Uh, what happens after 50 pitches? Does he start losing velocity? Does, does he lose his legs? Does he lose his command? And and I tell pitchers all the time, I said, I don't necessarily pull you for anything other than what the information gives me from the baseball. If the ball is up and out or the ball is getting tattooed, um, it's probably time to go to the next guy. If you're making quality pitches and just missing – we're probably going to stay out there a little bit longer. So, yeah, we just kind of pay attention and and keep trying to get better.
3: Uh, I love how you mentioned uh, Mitchell Daly. That's the beauty of sports, isn't it? Maybe you shatter any preconceived notion and he earns that spot. You know, now he's your leading hitter. Uh, The kid's from Alabama. Can he traces his uh, recruitment? Uh, I think, was he here at a Longhorn camp once?
2: Honestly, you know, his residence is in Alabama, but he's moved around so much because his dad's a general in the army. And uh, I I think the tough thing for Mitch is to has always been just being comfortable in his own skin because he's always playing catch up with friends. You know, they've been, you know, elementary, junior high, high school together and then Mitch shows up as a freshman in high school and doesn't really know anyone. And by his junior year, he's at a different spot. So it's been difficult for him, but I think what it does to a kid is it, it, it helps him understand, you know, dealing with social issues, dealing with um, maybe some internal things that we all struggle with at times of just how do I fit in? And and at times we all have self-doubt and, I think that's something that he needed to be able to be in a program where I think he's always been accepted, but being a program where uh, he feels a huge part of the program, and he's, he's really thrived because of it. Um, he played for a, a, a group here in Texas for uh, Pete Wilkerson, who used to coach under or played under Rod Dato at USC. And so Pete and I met a couple of falls ago and he came over to the office with another friend of mine and the friend of mine introduced me to him. And so we started talking players and he's just another source. He talked very highly of Mitch. Sean and I went and saw him play and we thought his skill set was good, but we didn't know how he was going to fit in. And, you know, he's a shortstop by trade, but I think he's really, a better second baseman than a shortstop. His arm slot says that. Um, but anyway, and so just through the recruitment, his dad came in with him. We sat in my office and we got it done. And um, it's been a pleasure having him on this team.
3: He's been impressive. He's been impressive. The last thing I wanted to ask is that the home field advantage. Now, they're gonna do that short order, I think, uh, about saying placing – tournaments where they're going to be, uh, in advance. Uh, can you explain that, uh, system for us? And do you think you will have a home regional with a chance of a super regional?
2: Well, I, I'm not a fan of the way they're placing it, except I feel very confident that we should get one because of our stadium, because of our city, the way we can accommodate, um, um, Hotels, the way we can accommodate teams to make sure that we're still under the standards of the pandemic and what the protocol is set up for by the NCAA, and so I think we're in a good spot there. You know, normally you your regional sites are set um, the Sunday on the back end of uh, of the uh, tournament, the, the the conference tournament, right that's when they're normally set so it's based strictly on your resume and then did you bid and does your stadium uh, accommodate so that's the normal procedure um they felt like they needed to move that into the i guess the middle second week of may may 10th um so they have the three-week period to prepare in those those sites and so it makes sense because of the pandemic to make sure that we're all um, prepared for it, just like you're seeing all the bubbles with basketball and how they accommodated volleyball and all. So uh, I, I'm really pumped that we're still going to have regional sites. I think the Northeast and maybe the West Coast is going to benefit from this because they have maybe have not gained a, a, a site Um and so it's going to be a little more geographical and not sure how they're going to pick the teams, really. But, um, yeah, I mean, so that's kind of it in a nutshell. So you'll decide like that's the date? I think that's the date.
0: Okay. Well, I'm not worried about that. You're going to get a site. Uh, the Dish looks great on television. Uh, there's a there's a TV crew in Austin, and it's an ESPN event. So that's, that's happening. That's happening. So I'm not even worried about that. We're we'll be all over that. But that that like you said, a uh, lot of baseball left. That that all comes later. The red the Texas Longhorns play the Red Raiders on Friday at seven at the Dish. David Pierce, we appreciate it so much, man, for joining us. Keep it rolling, and we'll see you at the park.
2: Cedric, oh, Kirk, appreciate it. them Horns. Good luck to you. <laughs> Thank you.
0: David Pierce has it rolling, and hopefully this fall, Steve Sarkeesian will get things rolling for the football team. Spring football is over. Oh, Break my heart. Can I clap? Can I clap on audio? Spring football is over. The next time uh, they, we see them on a the field will be meaningful practices leading up to the fall. Now, I'm not saying these weren't meaningful because it's a new coach, a new staff and he's trying to figure some things out, especially at the most important position in all of team sports. Deep snapper. There you go. Somewhere Cullen Leffler's smiling.
3: (laughs) We didn't ask him about deep snapper all spring, I don't think. So we did ask him several times about quarterback, and you wrote a column about that this week. And I totally agreed with your take that I think both players are very good and had the chance to be very good in the fall. But we saw little to no separation between the two, which I don't know how comforting that is to Sark and his coaching staff, but there's work to be
0: done there. And if you want, you know, to me, I'm still lean toward Casey Thompson. Right, tell um, me what. First of all, he's, ex- he's more experienced on as a college football player. Second of all, he can get out of trouble a lot. Of, he runs way better than Hudson Card. He's you a runner. So? I think so. I think so. I don't know.
3: This Hudson, guy played receiver in high school. That's
0: yeah. yeah. So. You line them up, and Casey Thompson blows them out of the water. Casey Thompson more elusive. You noticed at the scrimmage, Hudson Card uh, was struggling getting out of trouble on scrambles, whereas Casey. Exactly. Casey, I think's better off schedule than Hudson. I really believe exactly. that.
3: Hudson was playing with the second offensive line. And so, I, you know, that's why it's it's complicated. I think they're both very good athletes. I think uh, Hudson Card has a little stronger arm. I think, yes. Casey. Uh, I like Casey's presence. I like his poise. I loved how he played in the second half in the automobile, Bowl, throwing four touchdowns and hit the ground running like he'd been starting two years. So I like his confidence level. Uh I think it's maybe probably a slight edge for Thompson, uh, given that he's been on campus longer. He's been around the college game longer. So I think that gives him an edge. One red flag was that pick six, because coaches do not like turnovers. They especially do not like them in the red zone, and they really don't like a pick six (laughs) in the red zone. Do you think that could maybe – haunt Casey in the mind of Steve
0: Sarkeesian moving forward? I, I don't think so. I mean, it's a spring football game, but uh, practice practice becomes games. And uh, hopefully he'll learn from that. Just a horrific throw to the inside shoulder. You just can't – and and Deshaun Jameson is, is a touchdown waiting to happen whenever he touches the football. So I think – I do think that um, – I think that that that, that's something that he's going to have to look at as a player. I just, I kind of like the presence about him reaching out to the coach when he got the job, finding out the playbook. He says all the right things. He checks a lot of boxes. So does Hudson. Um, But I remember once upon a time when Gerard Hurd checked a lot of boxes as well, (laughs) more quotable, Fun to be around, electric athlete. Turned out not to be a really good quarterback long-term. So um, it's going to be an interesting, interesting fall or summer. I hope he doesn't go into the Louisiana game going, we're going to play them both because I don't know yet. Uh, he's from the Nick Saban school. I think I think that he's going to decide on a guy and he's going to roll with it. Um, the transfer portal tells us that if he picks one over the other, you, if especially if it's Casey, who sat around for three years waiting his turn, I wonder I wonder how he will be, react uh, to being the second-string quarterback to a uh, true freshman – I mean, to a sophomore.
3: You hit on a fascinating subject there with the transfer portal because we see how Steve Sturkeesian, uh, a.k.a. Eric, AKA Chris Beard II is using that transfer portal to not just enhance the roster, build the roster. Uh, and you touched on a very good points. Mac Jones had a dynamic, almost Joe Burrow caliber season in leading Alabama the national championship. And he won the job at Alabama two weeks before the season. So, but you're right. I think he wants a number one guy. He doesn't want a platoon. I don't think he wants to go into that. I do not think he would dare look into the transfer portal himself for a a quarterback because that would be like lighting the fuse in that quarterback room and, and really hurt morale. Now, if he had a guy like a Russell Wilson waiting in the wings, go for it, you know, because first year coaches don't want to wait around. They want to win right away to kind of jumpstart that culture. So, you know, another interesting thing is, is last year was a COVID year. It was a free year and, Casey Thompson's got three years of eligibility left, and Hudson Card, who just barely got on campus, has the full four years left, if you want. So, you know, there are a lot of factors in that. It's comfortability. It's understanding the offense. It's having the confidence of his teammates, the command of the huddle, and then all the tangible things like making the right throws, arm strength, and that sort of thing.
0: You wrote, we both wrote a little bit about defensive line. That's prob- That probably was the... The the big the biggest star group of yeah. the day at the spring practice, spring scrimmage, or whatever you want to call it, uh, Moro Ojimo showed up big. Um, I, I I love the depth up front, and that's going to take some pressure off of those linebackers. Um, you know, Demarvion Overshawn Agent Zero's coming back. Uh, David Benda, keeps his name gets keeps getting mentioned. Oh, yeah. I Ups, think he's up, really up. happy with Benda.
3: I think so too, but you also look at it as far as the depth. You know, then he adds a couple of transfer linebackers from the portal. Uh, Devin Richardson out of New Mexico State, who we've never heard of, and then Ben Davis from Alabama, who was a five-star freshman in 2016 and barely got on the field. And played eight so-
0: games. He's played eight games.
3: Yeah, I mean, you're a senior there and that's all you've played. That's not very telling. But I don't know if he's if that shows some dissatisfaction with the linebacker as a whole, or just he wants to build some depth there because John Mitchell left. Obviously Osai is gone and they need more bodies, you know, in that linebacker
0: room. And if he's a five star. I mean, he's a five star who hadn't gotten it done and you got a chance to get a guy that you know personally, because you coached there, who's a five-star player? Why wouldn't you take it?
3: Maybe maybe he needs a change of scenery. Maybe exactly. He just, maybe he just wants depth in case of injuries. Maybe he's a guy who can help with special teams. But uh, let me go back just a second uh, uh, on the D-line. I think that may be, after Bijan Robinson at tellback the number one strength of this football team. You mentioned ojimo and Vernon Broughton, the – the freshman who played some last year, Alfred Collins. Snacks. Snacks, Coburn, you know. Uh, (laughs) They've got some Jet Bush. Uh, Prince Dorba, you know, had a snack. Thornton. Ray Thornton, the transfer from uh, LSU. So I I agree with you. I think the D-line is probably uh, the number one strength because of the numbers there. Jacoby Jones, another one who's very active. So I really – like their D line, maybe the best in the big 12. And then Bijan Robinson, number two, number three. I I don't know. Is that quarterback? Is it secondary? Tight end. Is it the kicker? Tight end. Well, they lost Malcolm Epps. He's gone, but they don't have that dynamic guy like he had at Alabama, but he, we know he loves a tight end. He uses a two tight end set from time to time. He'll move the tight end out wide. So you know, he's a, he's an offensive guy who likes to move his parts around to get mismatches, and it just might be tied in. You think but he likes overall, his depth? I think he does like his depth, and, and he told us this week, as you know, that overall he likes this roster. Let's
0: hear what he had to say.
1: You know, I think every position group has got its own strengths and weaknesses within it. You know, I've, I've, I'm hesitant just to say this group is our best and this group is our worst. You know, I, I don't – I don't know if that's necessarily fair uh, in general. You know, I think that um, you know we maybe have some more depth at some position groups than others, uh, but at some position groups we might not have the depth that's ideal. But we have some pretty frontline talented players, and you know we just don't maybe have the people behind them that we would like. So, you know, I I feel pretty comfortable with our roster. Um, you know, clearly we're we may not be done yet. You know, with the, with the new transfer portal and where things are at. If we can solidify some depth, there's some things at different positions. You know, we'll we'll try to do that. We have the luxury of doing that based on the rules and where our scholarship numbers are at. Um, so we're we're continuing to to look into that avenue. Um, so you know, all in all, I, I like our roster. Um, are we always trying to enhance it? Yeah, I'm trying to do that for sure.
0: He does like his roster, Duck. He yeah. does like his roster. Uh, we're speaking in late April. A lot can happen in the summer. Sure. Uh, but, you know, it's it looks like he's building the type of t- team that he wants. But to me, it's going to all come down to the guy behind center. The days of game managers winning championships are long over. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, Greg McElroy at Alabama – was more of a game manager because he had Trent Richardson and Mark Ingram in that backfield. backfield. Uh, Julio Jones at wideout. So, uh, but nowadays in the Big Twelve, your quarterback's got to be one of your two or three best players overall for you Absolutely. to get it done in all of college football.
3: And Alabama may have kind of ascribed a little bit to that game manager, but then they embraced the spread and the. The wide open attack, the up tempo, and they get a Jalen Hurts and a Tua. And then Mac Jones wasn't the runner, but he was a dynamic player who they're talking about being top five pick, maybe. So you're exactly right. And I think for Texas, quarterback is obviously going to be the key. And then the one we've spent very little time talking all spring is the offensive line. And mm-hmm. They do get Derek Kerstetter back from that awful ankle surgery uh, injury against Kansas State. But, you know, they got Jake Majors, who they're high on at center. They like him. They like him a lot. They played three freshmen, started three freshmen against Colorado in the Alamo Bowl. But I, I still worry a lot about that offensive line, especially the numbers up front.
0: Yeah, the, the depth's not there. Uh, Junior Angellow's back. Denzel Okafor back. And uh, raves from J- on Jake Majors, but uh, I know back in the heyday when they were winning big, Mac Brown had eight that he that he had eight, eight interchangeable eight. offensive linemen. You could take out three and put in three, and he would keep them fresh and um, and they stayed healthy for the most part, which was was a big deal. But yeah, I I, I know we haven't spoken a lot about it, but that's going to be a huge factor. And it's exacerbated even more by the fact that you're going to have some inexperience at quarterback. It wouldn't surprise me if we see them bolster the roster with
3: some O-line transfers too. And you mentioned staying healthy. I remember Oklahoma in 2000, year two of Bob Stoops, he won the national championship, the only one he won uh, in Norman. But that team stayed healthy. They had the same 22 starters from start to finish, and that's hard to count on. And so football. You, that, you better have some numbers up there, and that's one thing. I bet he'll look. He'll awesome. be scouring that transfer portal all summer long. I think.
0: The duck. We usually reserve appearances from Catarino Vasquez for matters of fantasy football purposes, but since he makes so much money at the Statesman, they can't just make him a one-trick pony or even a two-trick pony. So. He's expanded his brand. He's doing the NFL draft now and posting mock drafts on statesman.com. It's interesting reading. You can catch him on Twitter at at AAS
4: underscore cat. Cat Vasquez joins us. What's up, brother? Hey, how's it going, guys? It's good to be back when it's not even football season. This is fun. <laughs> hey,
3: hey, it's always football season. And, uh, Said you mentioned fantasy football. This draft is fantasy football for general managers uh, and for their fans because they're trying to build their own teams. So uh, let's just jump right into it, Cat. Uh, you know, it's a quarterback-heavy draft. It's a wide receiver-heavy draft. Uh, anything else that jumps out at you, just generally about the draft, other than those two topics?
4: Well, I just think it's a, it's going to be really interesting this year i mean last year was crazy because of the pandemic and how the draft went down this year you got a little bit of that because you didn't have the traditional combine and then you have a bunch of players who uh people think they know where they're going but uh, i don't think that's necessarily going to happen you know uh the way a lot of us think it's going to happen that's why i think these mock drafts are so fun i've seen so many different variances and so many different outcomes in some of these mock drafts. It's, I just can't wait to see what it, how it all turns out in real life. It's going to be fun.
0: I, th- I, I love, I love the quarterbacks at the top of this draft. Uh, Got to ask you about the number three pick cat, the San Francisco 49ers moving up to number three. They just gave Jimmy G five years on $137.5 million even though he's only played like 25 games. <laughs> but there's so much talent in this draft at that position. They didn't I, – I, I just get the sense they moved up to take a guy. What do you think they're going to do with that number three pick?
4: Well, said. I've had so many arguments with other people and myself about this pick because it's, it's, it's clear that they made this move because you don't go this high if you're not going to try to get a – a quarterback I
3: believe exactly. especially in
4: this exactly. yes. but one thing I would kind of disagree with from most people is that I think most people are saying that they moved up because they knew the guy they wanted to take and I'm not sure I think that's true because I think what they wanted to do was I think they wanted to move up to number three because they knew that the first two guys were slotted and they wanted to control the situation and do their due diligence and I think that's what's happening here. I think they moved all the way up to three because they said, okay, we know that a couple of these guys, we're going to want one of them. So let's take a look, a card look, and know that we'll get which one we settle on. I think that's what happened here. And I, you just keep hearing about Mac Jones in a lot of reports, and I, I can buy it if they're more uh, comfortable with talking about a fit of a quarterback in the system. And one one thing I keep hearing is that Kyle Shanahan wants to be the Sean McVay to Jared Goff from a couple of years ago when that offense was humming. And I can believe that, but the problem with that is I don't think they had to move up to three to, do the, to get Mac Jones. And I, I just don't think that's what's going to happen this time around. I think you got to look no. at upside and... Uh, I think Kyle Shanahan can do a lot with more with a guy like Trey Lance or even Justin Fields.
3: To me, it's clear they're moving on from Jimmy G. I don't know. I can't believe they haven't traded him to new England yet. Uh, still time before Thursday night, but uh, you know, new England's kind of always been infatuated with him, but he, you know, he can't stay healthy. You know, uh, I wouldn't say he's been a bust. They played in the super bowl, but uh I think I agree with you, Kat. I think they've decided to move on and they've given themselves options, you know, at the number three pick. I, I really think Mac Jones could be feast or famine guys. He, he's not a mobile guy. We know that he could be, you know, are they hoping this guy's big, strong, big Ben Roethlisberger type, stay in the pocket or, you know, could he be you know somebody like Ryan Leaf? You know, I think it's you know it's kind of sink or swim with Mac Jones. You know, Trey Lance. I don't know. The, the, is the jury out on him because he played at lesser uh, competition at a at smaller division? Or and I've always been a Zach Wilson guy. I watched him. I kind of championed BYU all year long and really liked him uh could you both of you could you see mac jones being Feaster famine or am i off base Boy, Cat.
4: yeah um i i think i kind of agree with you a little bit kirk i i do think he can be a good quarterback uh, i think he could be a really good quarterback and the right. thing is uh i mean if a guy like jimmy g is playing in a super bowl then i think a guy like mac jones could eventually get to a super bowl and possibly even win a super bowl but I, I just don't feel like that type of player he is is the kind of player you get in the top five that's kind of my that's kind of my thing it's it's more about value for me I don't know I don't I don't feel like he could us necessarily but it's possible and uh that's what scares me about taking a guy like him at
1: three
0: he scares me I'd stay away I'd stay away from mac Jones if I'm picking early um I read that Kyle Shanahan. Want the rumor mill is he wants Mac Jones, but his people like Trey Lance for the upside. Um, awesome. I love Zach Wilson. Um, I, I just, I, I, Mac Jones, he just may be a product of playing for a great head coach yeah, with lots of talent, with, 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 with Waddle and Devontae Smith on the Devontae outside. Harris, yeah. So I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm hey. off that, I'm off that train. I'm off that train. Uh, I do want to ask you about one other pick um, in the top five. The Atlanta Falcons missed their chance to win a Super Bowl. Duck and I were in Houston that night, up twenty-eight-three. Matt and Ryan in an MVP season doesn't get the Super Bowl, and we know they're not. They're 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 transitioning now. We've seen the best of Matty Ice. Um, And they're dangling Julio Jones in the trade market. Those are your two guys. Are they about to take a quarterback in hot Atlanta, Catarino?
4: I don't think so. And the the reason is uh, with the contract situations they have with Matt uh, Ryan, uh, he's going to be their quarterback for two years. Like that's almost like solid, like definitive. Unless there's a major injury, he's going to be their quarterback for two years because there's nothing they can do with that contract. And the thing is uh, I can see them waiting on that position because like I said, he'll, he'll be there for two years. They, they, and, and the guys at the top here, I don't think any of them wants to, will or is, should wait two years at the most, maybe Trey Lance waits one year and then try to get him in there. But of these quarterbacks that are available here, like, I don't think any of them really deserves uh, to wait. And, I think if you're if you're Atlanta, I think you're going to want to try to – I mean, you know you need a lot of help, so maybe trading down is your best move here. But if you don't do that, then I think you take the best player off the board, and that's not a quarterback. And I think that's probably Kyle Pitts. So, I mean, yeah. that's, that's what I
3: think. I, I love Kyle Pitts. He, you know, he's a wide receiver trapped in a tight end body. I, I just <laughs> Kyle Pitts. And, and Matty Ryan, he's not chopped liver. You know, he's still – He's still performing and playing well, but I don't know. Julio's the one that's, you know, has had trouble staying on the field and scoring touchdowns as all fantasy owners know. So that, that that's don't remind an interesting me. thing. Uh, <laughs> before we get off quarterback too, how do you see Justin Fields? You know, he's not getting the, 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 the buzz like some of these other ones. And I don't know, is also, is he hurt because Dwayne Haskins uh, turned out to be a bust in Washington. Does that, kind of hurt him by association a little bit, Kev.
4: That's a good point because, uh, like, you do see that sometimes. And, and that's got, kind of going back to Mac Jones. That's kind of how I feel like, see, like, uh, Alabama quarterbacks and how they've fared when they've gone high. But but I kind of feel differently about Justin Fields. Uh, I think uh, people are kind of <laughs> valuing him at this point, and I think that's going to be to their detriment. Um, he just can do everything, and he's uh, – I mean, people who talk about mechanics and – I don't know how much I buy into that kind of stuff, especially when a guy is so just—he ha- has a lot of the like the intangibles as well as the yeah. attributes.
3: Played like. hurt in that semifinal against Clemson. I'm a I'm yeah. a big Justin Fields guy. I say I don't know how you feel about it, but I'd rather uh, have Justin Fields than Mac Jones who did it one I, year I
4: too. I would too, actually, Kirk. That's 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 for sure. Um, the guy's smart too. I mean, yeah. he's, he's, he's highly intelligent. So I mean, I don't. There's really not. I don't know where all the uh, negative stuff is coming from, really. Uh, I, I still see him as uh, in my top ten. So, I think I think a little drop for him. I think he's going to be fine in the end, though. I mean, it, I but uh, I do see that he is falling at for some I, Yeah, I agree. I don't know why, though.
3: How about these wide receivers? There's so many. I mean, Jamar oh, okay. Chase, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddell, I mean uh, – What's the other LSU guy? Terrence Williams, uh, you know, from LSU. I mean, lots of what Kyle Pitts is basically a wide receiver. Sure, yeah, yeah, okay. it's, uh, We're going to see these wide receivers go higher than
4: ever, aren't we? I think so. I think there's, I think it's not just uh, uh, a lot of, you know, talent there. I think there's also, it's deep too. I mean, because I could see the fifth, I mean, in a, in a, in a, in some world I can see the fifth best or the fifth highest selected receiver ending up being the best receiver of the bunch. You know, it's, it's that kind yeah. of a broad kind of uh, uh, there's just a lot there to choose from. It's a deep, it's a deep class. And I, agree. I have uh, for me, for me I have Jamar chase as my best wide receiver, right? Mm-hmm. But, but instead of uh, Devonte Smith second, I have Jalen Waddle because he's, he's got uh the crazy speed, but he's not just a big play threat. Um, he's also got size over Devonte Smith. And yeah. that
0: scares me about Devonte. He's very skinny.
4: Yeah, it scares me. A six, too. Six, I think is what, what he was weighing. So not even 170 pounds. So that's, that is, a, that is a concern, you know, he's very but Deshaun uh, Jackson. Jackson. Hey, Tyree Hill's pretty small. He's thick <laughs> though. I mean, you know, you know, yeah. he, he's a big, yeah. He's a muscular guy. Speaking of uh, guys who are thick, I, one guy who I haven't kind of towards the end of my first round mock is uh, 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 Rondell Moore. That guy is Purdue. Strong.
0: Purdue, yes, love him.
4: I would, I would, I would take a chance on him. Like I said, a guy who might end up being the best of the class. I mean, you don't know. I mean, all, these, all this is all kind of a crapshoot anyway. You know, there's busts all the time, but uh I think more uh, more can really be productive in the NFL. I mean, he's just so strong, and he's just he's he's got a so versatile and shifty. I mean, he's got, he's got a lot yeah. of moves. That can be really productive for some team.
3: Rashad Bateman, another one, Minnesota. Yeah,
4: I think there. I have. He's actually my my last receiver going in the first round. I think I have. Yeah. I probably. I think if uh, I were a betting man, I would go over on wide receiver selected in the first round because I have a <laughs> lot of them in my mock draft.
0: I like it. Well, I know the people in the 5-1-2 want to know what you think about the Longhorns that are that are draftable. Um, are no, we, we believe Sam Cosme is a first-round pick, uh, but the, the and Joseph Osai could go first round or second. He's projected. I've seen him in both uh, mock-wise. Talk to us about Sam Ellinger. We, we ran a, an M-Depth piece in our paper uh, from USA Today's Jory Epstein, a good friend of me and Ducks, uh, out of the APEC uh, workout facility in Fort Worth, working on his mechanics, uh, so, telling her the hay is not in the barn. Don't sleep <laughs> on me. What do you think about Sam? Is Sam Ellinger – a late draft pick. Is he going to go earlier than we thought? Like remember Tebow, that was a shock to all of us. That was Josh McDaniels just being on crack, but, um, or, or is he, is he a free agent pick? What, what, what do you think happens with Sammy?
4: I don't think he gets selected until maybe the seventh round. I mean, it's just, there's just a lot of stuff there. That's not, uh, ideal for nfl quarterbacking and uh, i i almost wish he would like try to change positions because he's just got he's got everything you want that's not necessarily you know the mechanics or the or the the physical act- like he's he's a he's a big dude i yeah. feel like he could almost play a receiving tight end if he wanted to but he's not is, that fast yeah, yeah right he's not that fast but he's a, he's a big guy and he I'm sure he's probably got good hands as a quarterback, but I don't know. I just, I haven't seen a lot of him in uh, projected to go uh, in the, the higher than the seventh round. And I haven't seen a lot of, um, and actually, you know, uh, a good indicator is, you know, over-unders on when, where a guy's going to get drafted and his, uh, his number is in the, in the mid 200s. So, I mean, that's almost outside of that's almost mm-hmm. compensatory, or uh 7th round or maybe even undrafted free agent signing so i don't know what do you, do you guys think he he can get moved before the 7th round
0: i do not i do not i like sam um sure. great competitor uh, high character interviewed well at the combine um but no i don't i just think i think in this particular draft when quarterbacks are dropping out of the sky um, that he's probably uh, just a, a final you know seventh round pick or a free agent. Um, it could happen, it could happen, but there's so many quarterbacks that do so many things better than Sammy that um, it would have to be a team that's that's going to take him take a, f- a flyer on him, a team that's set at quarterback that may may be able to allow him, to sit back and, and, and learn the game and develop, um, you know, maybe as a practice squad guy, kind of like Romo did and then move up.
4: Right. Uh, I, I would add this, that I would love to see somebody take a chance on him just to see what he does, because I mean, it's, it's hard to doubt, like the, how, how hard he works and you know, how much he's willing to uh, put in to actually try to get better. So I would be interested to follow him. What, if he does get, uh, uh, drafted, um, and like I said, I'm pretty sure he'll get uh, uh, undrafted free agent signing if not drafted. So he, it'll be. By the way,
3: he doesn't have that skill set that that pops out at you. Mm. Uh, you know, he doesn't have the strongest arm. He's a very effective college runner, but he's no Lamar Jackson, as we all know. Uh, he's not as accurate as Colt McCoy was. Uh, he's just as smart, heady tough physical guy. I think who he is, is chase Daniels. the the kid out of uh, South Lake Carroll in Missouri, much who, bigger though. Uh, yes, but bigger, but they're same kind of type, The kind of body structures, the same, you know, smart cerebral guys and play in the league 10 years, or at least draw an NFL paycheck for 10 years and maybe get eight starts in your career. You know, I think he, he's a great security blanket, but, uh, yeah, I, I'm going to be surprised if he gets drafted too. And uh, in, in some ways, it's if you're not going to go any higher in the seventh round, you're better off being a free agent because you can negotiate with any team that you want. So, uh, I don't know. Uh, I'm going to be surprised too. Sam Cosme, you still think he's the first-rounder, Cat?
4: Well, actually, uh, I think I'm contrary to you guys on that. I think he's just outside the first round. Um that's I, just agree, because-
3: with you. I agree with you.
4: That's just because I've, uh, I, you know, just working here, I've, I've seen Cosme, and then, but I hadn't seen a, a bunch of the offensive tackles, uh, until I started working on this, uh, this season's, uh, mock, and, uh, and just looking at, uh, a, I just feel like there's a bunch of other guys that I'd rather have, uh, anchoring my line, uh, at, you know, just in the first round, you know, uh, I just right. like it, I feel like it's a, it's a pretty deep tackle class. And when I say that, I'm not saying there's a bunch of uh, you know, Hall of Famers in there. I, I just think there's a bunch of solid talent there that is consistent and strong and big with size, and, and there's just a, a lot of that there and, and just seeing a lot of them on uh, you know, uh, film breakdown and, and highlight reels and, and whatnot, and right. even low-light reels, just to see what, what their weaknesses are. That, uh, that I think there's a, a more guys there that I would want just in the first round
3: but, yeah, you, you got Panay Sewell, you got Tevin Jenkins, you got Slater. You know, I, I agree with you. So.
4: I really like Tevin Jenkins. You mentioned him. That guy, I, I would want him on my offensive line. That's He's he's kind of nasty, but he's really mm-hmm. smart and clever, and he's got good moves. So, I mean, yeah, that's that's one that I like for sure in the first round. <laughs>
3: I want to mention the Dallas Cowboys sitting there number 10. They're usually not that high. You know, a lot of times Jerry likes to trade back and, you know, and get more bang for his buck. Uh, I don't know. To me, they need a cornerback. You know, I mean, they gave up 34 touchdown passes and that defense was reeling all season. You know, I love Patrick Sertan, the Alabama cornerback. J.C. Horn of South Carolina. Joe's kid is another one I really like. Do you see them? circling the cornerback or you see him going a different direction, Kat? Cal
4: Go ahead, They need D. You keep hearing that. It's just, it's, it's funny. Uh, they for sure need defense though. Um, I would, I would say cornerback is probably the move. Um, I've, I've been kind of uh, cycling back and forth between those two guys. You mentioned Kirk and just the, just from watching them, and just kind of uh, based on uh, I don't know, maybe it's maybe it's a bit of intangibles. I would really like to see them take JC Horn. That guy is I don't know. I feel like there's a little bit of more like uh, attitude in his game. A little more uh, uh, I don't I don't know what the word is. There's there's just it's called cat. It's called dog. Yeah, <laughs> it's dog. called dog. He he is for sure. That's exa- That's funny. I was talking to my nephew about him and that's exactly how he described him uh, my nephew plays football so it's it's funny uh, I, I just feel like he, they they kind of want that I, I i don't think you fix a defense with one player obviously so i think you get a player who can be that kind of bring that kind of attitude maybe bring some maybe he doesn't make every play but he makes plays you know and you need right. that sometimes especially if you're expecting your offense to bounce back the way the cowboys do they're just gonna want some guy to maybe make a turnover at some point. And and I think I think JC Horn's the guy there, but you know, obviously wouldn't wouldn't be a bad pick if they went with Sertan, Sertan instead. So you're dead. Dead. you're dead.
3: Who would you take? You're Jerry Jones. Do you take do you take uh Kyle Pitts to help that offense or you go defense?
0: Read the paper today. Mm-hmm. You gotta take the corner. You gotta take the corner. Got and to. I know that Kyle Pitts is great, but um And I know there are only a few really elite athletes at that position in the league, you know, uh, Travis, Kelsey, Darren Waller types, but uh, they're so horrific on defense. You got to get a guy over there. I would probably lean toward JC Horn. Uh, They're both second generation players. You know, Patrick Sertan's dad was a, was a mainstay with the, um, with the Miami dolphins. So um He was in that generation after Sam Madison and Troy Vincent. So, and, uh, but JC Horn just seems to have that dog in him, just like his dad did for many years with the new Orleans saints. So uh, I would give him the slight edge. I like them both. Um, I don't think Dallas will miss with either one of those. Uh, It might not shock me that Kyle Pitts is gone by then. People will
4: will have to move up if they want Kyle Pitts. That's, I think that's, I think that's clear. I mean, he's I not I love gonna him. him. So, yeah, they if they do that, it would be interesting, but uh they definitely would uh have to give something up to get him.
3: Any any hope for the Houston Texans? Don't have a first round. Don't know who the hell their quarterback's going to be in the fall. I no JJ Watt. What a disaster. I mean, how do how do they help themselves in this draft cat?
4: You know, <laughs> it's funny <laughs> how they they ended up uh, you saw what they did in free agency uh, adding a bunch of uh, just the guys and it's I don't I really don't know what they can do other than just get whatever they're it's their time to pick best available best available every single time because like you said you don't really know even know what's going to happen to your offense based on what your quarterback's going through right now and there's it's really I mean, I really would hate being I really feel for Texans fans right now because there's there's almost like no light at the end of the tunnel at this point because it, yeah. we're going through all this stuff. So here's
3: the light, here's the light, guys. Go ahead and tank, get the first pick, take Spencer Rattler out of Oklahoma next next year. Um, and never tank, to... never oh. tank,
0: never tank. Stop it. Oh.
3: They can tank without tanking, said.
4: <laughs>
0: yeah, well, yeah. How would we be able to tell if they're tanking or not? <laughs> exactly. If exactly.
4: We'll take Spencer Rattler.
0: <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Well, the last
3: question I have for you, Cat, is: yeah. uh, uh, Give me a dark horse and a potential bust. Any a name that's a bust, and yeah. any a dark horse that could go first or, or even second round.
4: Uh, let me think of. Uh, let me see if uh, a dark horse actually yeah let me do dark horse first okay actually you know what I'll, I'll end on a positive i'll i'll do a potential bust first and then we'll end oh, on a yeah. uh, potential bust i think is i'm afraid i'm afraid for this guy because i feel like he's uh, he's he's had bad timing uh caleb farley the cornerback yeah. was virginia tech up from virginia tech um at the beginning of all this and uh he's starting to drop and it looks like he might even drop out of the first round, but I do have him in my, in my mock right here that should mm-hmm. uh, go up pretty soon. Uh, and it, everybody will be able to see it in Thursday's print edition. And it'll be online Thursday also. Cool. Um, um, I'm afraid uh, he, you know, he's had the uh, back surgery. Uh, and then uh, he's also, apparently he is, uh, I believe he's uh Asymptomatic COVID positive today. I mean, he's fine, yeah, but I I mean, he, he's he's tweeted out a video where he looks, you know, perfectly normal. But it just seems like he's he's run into some bad luck, and I'm I'm thinking I don't know if that's going to follow him. You know. Mm. Anyway, uh, we're talking dark horse. Yeah, um, I might have I might have said that, I did say that Rond, I liked Rondell more earlier. He's not, he's not necessarily a dark horse, but. Um, also I do like, um, uh, this guy's interesting. He's he's maybe he's not a dark horse, but, uh, Christian Barmore from Alabama, DT, yep. to tackle, I think he's a first rounder and I think he goes to Cleveland. Okay. And, and, and adding him to like Jadavian Clowney, Miles Garrett, I think that'll really push them over the top maybe in terms of defense and just give them uh, an extra push And I don't think people would expect a defensive tackle to do that for a team necessarily. So I don't know. That's another guy, another guy, Elijah Moore receiver. Uh, He could really add something. Maybe if he gets, gets on with uh, the saints or something like that. Yeah. Guys like that.
3: Okay. Well, I wonder a little bit about Micah Parsons. I love the Penn state linebacker, but he hadn't had an interception or pass breakup. I don't think he's had an interception his entire career. So I think he could be, you know, yeah. a break or bust, breakthrough or bust. And then my dark horse—I just love this guy, Zaven Collins, uh, oh, yeah. the linebacker. I just think he's so versatile. He runs so well, can make plays all over the field. So he's kind of my dark horse. Said you got anybody?
0: Do I have a dark horse in this draft? Or in a bust? Uh, I've already told you. I'm 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 way off the. Um... I'm am w- way off the um, Mac, Mac Jones, Jones. wagon. I, that's he scares me. Yeah. yeah, he just really scares me. Uh, Dark Horse. Um, I'm looking. I'm looking through my little notes.
2: Yeah, Kenneth Murray at OU linebacker. He's
0: um, intense. He's intense. No, I, I don't know. I'm I'm How not gonna guess. Uh, I won't what guess.
4: What do you think of that uh, Notre Dame linebacker?
0: Oh, Oromoa.
3: I like him. I yeah. think he's good. I tell you who's really good is that Mayor, Michael Mayor, they're tied in next year. I think he'll be a junior next year. Maybe he was a freshman, but boy, keep your eye on him. He's going to be a stud of the NFL in a couple of years.
4: Man, I can't wait till this, all this stuff goes, goes down. It's going to be really fun. Well, yeah,
0: we, going to we're, be fun. we are going to be locked into the draft. Check out cat stuff in today's. Austin American Statesman. You can catch him on Twitter at AAS underscore Cat. Uh, that's going to do it for us today on episode 219. Thanks to Catarino for joining us. Uh, thanks very much to Texas baseball coach David Pierce for stopping by. We'll do it all next week. Again, for the Duck Kirk Bowles, I'm Cedric Golden. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to second thought powered by hook'em.com join set and kirk every thursday at lunch for a new episode archived episodes are available on itunes and google android play